0: Welcome to the Operation Crest podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Julia. And we are the co-hosts of today's episode. Operation Crest is an effort of the 957 Project to empower high school students like us to preserve memories of America's veterans and to share their stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Each of these interviews will be donated to the Library of Congress to be preserved for future generations, and you can hear other episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to stick around at the end of this episode to hear us reflect on what we learned during the following conversation. Learn more at www.OperationPress.org and let's begin the show.
1: Today we are interviewing Lieutenant Colonel Steve Henderson. Mr. Henderson is a senior data engineer for the Defense Counterintelligence Systems Agency, where he leads DCSA, Big Data Platform team, and and advises on large-scale data initiatives. Steve has served as a senior data scientist and system engineer in the commercial and military cyber operations community, where he specialized in providing data science and data engineering solutions. This includes positions in cyberspatial, mercs. Cyber Fusion Center, Citigroup's Global Cyber Fusion Center, US Cybercom, and the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. Steve has recently held faculty positions at the United States Military Academy Department of System Engineering and in the Heinz College at Carnegie Mellon University. Steve is also a 23-year 23, 23 Army veteran who served as an Apache helicopter pilot and operations systems analyst all over the world. Dr. Henderson earned a B.S. in computer science from USMA, an M.S. in system engineering at the University of Arizona, and a Ph.D. in computer science from Columbia University. He lives in New York State with his wife, Maria, and enjoys traveling, learning new technology, and participating in church activities. Mr. Henderson, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here
1: you have an impressive resume
0: you do a lot of stuff
2: yeah thank you very much just uh been around a while
0: <laughs> yeah i saw that columbia on there and i was my eyes started bulging
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it was a good time it's a great school and uh it was an interesting chapter of my life it was, it was awesome, awesome opportunity
0: so my first question is why did you pick uh the service branch you joined
2: yeah, that's a good question. I was in high school, so uh, senior year of high school. Um, you know, I didn't really have a good plan to go to college and uh, didn't have any money for college. So I was really interested in the military. Um, we had um, a friend of the family who had been in the army and also one of my cousins had been in the army. So I think just for those are kind of my my two influences, I think, on the army. I didn't have any idea what the Navy or the Marines did. So, um, yeah, just, I think it was the influence of those two uh, younger guys or at the time, older guys in me and, um, and uh, some really good recruiting, you know, the whole B <laughs> was, was in full swing back then. So, and then we had recruiters, you know, we had recruiters that were in our high school and, uh, they were always real friendly. So I got to talking to them and I joined, uh, I joined the army, um, Right about this time of my senior year so i actually was on the delayed oh, internship gosh. program joined up so i had already had enlisted before mm-hmm. i graduated high school and then uh, that summer i i shipped out to to boot camp wow, wow.
0: Awesome. where was boot camp
2: yeah it was in fort mcclellan alabama which still exists but it's not an active military post anymore i think it's actually been turned over to the department of homeland security they use it for all kinds of disaster preparedness um, it it was at the time the home of the military police corps and also the army chemical corps. So they're very they have really good facilities there for chemical weapons <laughs> training. So um, that was kind of the the center of that of that place. And I was joined up as a completely different specialty. I was an aero scout observer. So I was essentially a enlisted co-pilot for a scout helicopter. It was a really cool job. To have when you're you know 18 yeah and um yeah they just sent me to mcclellan because it was kind of close to fort rucker which is where i did my flight training so i think that's why i ended up at, at mcclellan
0: that's such a big transition as an 18 year old kid graduating right? out of high school was that yeah. hard on your family life
2: yeah yeah i think it was harder my parents than i probably give them credit for mm. you know the very first time i was on an airplane was actually the airplane i took to the army to go fly airplanes, which was kind oh, of wow. but, uh, so, yeah, we never get anything like that as a family. And, and I was from Oregon and here I was on the other side of the country in
0: Alabama. Yeah. yeah wow. That's a, that's a big flight. <laughs> it's yeah, a long so flight.
2: I was very homesick. I, I know my parents miss me too, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a big adjustment.
1: So, um, where did you serve when you were in the military?
2: Yeah. So I did the, I did that. I went to this kind of mini flight school, and about the end of that time period, um, through, through all kinds of circumstances I could talk about, I actually got an appointment to West Point Prep School. Ooh. So the service academies have this kind of junior college where you go there for a year and get you ready for West Point. So I'd kind of heard about it, got in. So instead of going to Korea where I was supposed to go, I got orders to go to the prep school. So I went to the prep school in New Jersey at the time that I went to West Point. Then after West Point, I served um, back in Alabama, went to Germany. I was uh, deployed to Bosnia twice, uh, came back, and then my wife and I went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Then after that, I went to uh, grad grad school in Arizona. And then we went to West Point. And uh, we were at West Point for pretty much the rest of my career. I was stationed at West Point, but I rotated to Iraq. I went to Afghanistan. I went, of course, to Columbia. was really, really fortunate to be able to stabilize my family for really half of my career in one place in Mm -hmm. uh, Central Valley, New York, basically, in Hudson Valley.
0: Thanks. I'm I'm really wondering more about, like, your first boot camp experiences as, like, an 18-year-old. Like, what was that like? Was it, like, a really big switch on the amount of discipline there was? Or what was it like?
2: Yeah, for me, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I came from a pretty strict home, you know, Mm -hmm. where we – my parents weren't strict in a bad way, but we definitely had discipline from my parents. And, um, you know, my family has kind of this, our secret weapon is our work ethic, I think. So for me, it was all that stuff just kind of kicked in Mm -hmm. and it was like, okay, this is just me being a Henderson. And I just did my thing. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It was just like, you do really cool stuff every day. (laughs) So like, what was
0: like a routine? What was your routine? Like
2: yeah, so we would get up in the morning like really early usually kind of crazy hours and they would always change it up based off what we were doing by like 4 30 or 5 and mm. we would do some some physical training you know like pts so you're out there in your like sweatpants and and uh rolling around in the sawdust pit so you do that and then we would grab some showers and then go to to the mess hall and the food was always really good i thought and uh <laughs> yeah then we would uh we would take off and go do something for the day so like usually we would march there in formation so you know you're there with like everybody and you're in this kind of little parade you know and and you take off and there's this drill sergeant and they're like they sing these cadences and they sound so great you know you just so much mm-hmm. pride and esprit de corps they're like all really good they, they all seem to sound like opera singers you know they all they yeah. sing and they're funny and the drill sergeants really are special people so like you're kind of having fun you're singing all these songs, and. An hour later, you're someone's got a machine gun. They give it to you. And you're shooting stuff. It's, <laughs> you know, it's the,
0: a dream of an eighteen-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah, it is.
2: yeah. yeah. It, it's pretty fun. I remember distinctly walking through these pine trees and like just the smell of the pine trees. I had an M60 machine gun and and it was like fall. It was just a beautiful day. And I'm like, I can't believe that I get to do this. You know, <laughs> I felt like I was really, really fortunate to have have made that decision to just be part of this continuous adventure and that's probably what I could say this that Army is like it's every day is just like a purposeful super meaningful adventure is that kind of the best way to describe it Even on the bad days you're still part of an adventure and it's it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun.
1: So um, that sounds awesome. Um, but so in your bio it said that um, you were a helicopter uh, pilot and you also said that you went for flight school. But you also have a PhD in computer science. So, how does that, how do those translate?
2: Yeah, yeah. So in the army, when you're an officer, you know the army kind of puts you in a branch where they expect they want you to do something, right? So my branch was aviation. So like my day job mm-hmm. was uh, flying helicopters. Um, but then is the army. Super cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. So that was kind of my job. Um, In terms of the subject matter, you know, computer science really is a good um, feeder for aviation. I think because you know, in computer science, you have to have a lot of attention to detail. You have to approach things very methodically, but it's a lot of problem solving too. In computer science, when you're coding or you're developing a system, and and aviation is is like um, problem solving all the time at like combat speed. You know, things happen really quickly. You got to solve problems. A lot of times, they don't go the right the first time. So it's very much like coding. I think in terms of uh, Problem solving aspect. So that was pretty natural for me. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of numbers and math and algorithms. You know, you're you're constantly, especially when you fly instruments, you're kind of translating things. So there's a lot of corollaries between the two. And just from a career perspective, going back to what I was saying, the Army sort of puts you in a branch. But then the Army and and any other services, if you're an officer, they really try to keep you educated because they know that if you're educated, you can handle a lot of different sort of broadening things they throw at you. You can be a a platoon leader, you can run a company, you can go be a general's aide, you can go be a spokesperson and talk to the American people. So they just want you to have a rich education so that they can basically tap you on the shoulder and say you're an officer, go do this. So um, I really benefited from that philosophy, you know, got basically two masters and a PhD and a bachelor's on the Army's dime. So
0: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I've been inside of a Blackhawk because I've, I have uncles who fly helicopters a lot. So yeah. they showed me the inside of it and it, it was very impressive.
2: Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Blackhawks are all nice. All those
0: controls and everything. And like you said, to be able to know what to do on a dime, if you're in combat, just being able to get that reaction and move from that. It's impressive. Yeah,
2: yeah it is. It's a lot, it was a lot of fun. It's hard to believe. I mean, we used to go on missions, and I would come back and, and you would just be covered with sweat and just <laughs> tired and hungry. And You're just like, I feel like I just ran a marathon, you know, because yeah. you're just working so hard, but then you're, there's just a feeling of exhilaration. You're like, you feel like an astronaut or something when you come back. Yeah. Night mission, like, like, I just drilling. did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're 25 years old, 27 years old. And you're just like, wow, you know, I've never really had that experience since, right? It's just, um, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of people have yeah. that experience. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, so no. Cool.
2: Maybe if you're a first responder or, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, something like that. But it was it was awesome.
1: Yeah, that is awesome. Um, speaking of, like, how you're feeling, um, how did you feel the first day you were shipped out overseas?
2: Yeah, it was really exciting, you know, at the time. Like, um, before, you know, before I had kids, like, my very first deployment, I mean, I don't know. It's mixed emotions now thinking about it. Um, you know, the very first time we went to Bosnia, there was a, a little bit of a complication around the scheduling where we we were away doing some very last minute training to kind of get ready for Bosnia. And because of some winter weather, we got stuck there and we were supposed to come back and have like kind of a five day pass to be with our families before we shipped out to what we thought was going to be combat now bosnia was tough it wasn't combat but it was a separation so i was really looking forward as everybody in my kind of unit was looking forward to those five days but we didn't get them because of the weather <laughs> so <laughs> i remember we came back and they said okay you've got two hours to go home and get your stuff and come back here you know <laughs> now that, that was probably one of the toughest days of my life was going back to see my mm-hmm. wife and saying hey i and she was so disappointed because we were gonna have this time together, you know, so mm-hmm. that, that was brutal. That was just brutal. And I went through this kind of the same thing when I went to Iraq, I had kids and, and Iraq was a, a much, much tougher situation. So everybody kind of knew the stakes were different. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is going to be rough, you know, and my wife kind of, she was kind of falling apart. It was just rough. Um, but then part mm-hmm. of you is also soldier part of you is just like really looking forward to it you know because you're like okay this is what I trained for let's let's go you know it's almost mm-hmm. like it's if you're an athlete you probably have the same kind of feeling before a big game you're just like okay this is it this is it you know so there's part mm-hmm. of you that's embracing it but also a, a big part of you that's that's feeling like maybe you didn't make the right decision you know <laughs> so
0: did you experience any combat while you were overseas or see any
2: yeah so I was um for Iraq and Afghanistan, I was kind of in um staff position, so I wasn't like on the front line for either one of those. In Iraq, I was a general's aide. So I worked for um, you know, a two-star general and flew all over Iraq, drove all over Iraq. So we were like in harm's way a lot. There were mm-hmm. like people that I think shot in our direction. I remember seeing some some tracers and things like that, but I mean it wasn't like frontline kind of stuff. And and when I was in Afghanistan, I was an ORSA, and an analyst doing counter-ID data science, mm-hmm. essentially. And we, I never saw any action there. We got mortared a couple times. So I remember on Christmas Eve. on Christmas uh, Eve. Yeah, 2011, they were hitting us with mortars. So there were, like, stuff going off around, like, my, mm-hmm. my. we called it my hooch, you know. So I had, like, a really posh uh, room where I stayed. And <laughs> I was just, like, there, laying under my blankets, saying my prayers, being like, God, you know, I'm thankful that uh, I'm mm-hmm. still alive. and uh, you know that was the closest i've been to to heavy kind of combat i'd say but that wasn't anywhere near what most people did
1: but i mean even being in those places yeah like iraq and afghanistan you're still you
2: in a way in yeah. yeah yeah anything happen. a lot and a lot of people lost their lives that you know just under benign circumstances you know there were terrorist bombings that went into i remember um when i was there they some insurgents with a suicide vest went into a mess hall and blew themselves up and killed like 13 oh Americans. So um yeah, those people in the mess hall probably weren't they probably like me, they were just analysts probably in that area. But so yeah, everybody was, I think, at risk. But um some people had a really, really different, you know, the infantry and, and frontline soldiers, they had a totally different situation. Human mm-hmm. me? <laughs> That's
1: my question. Oh um. Hmm. What is What's your favorite memory from the military? Your favorite, like, total, overall, something you think about?
2: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, the there was a day in Bosnia. So in Bosnia, I was a platoon leader, and that's kind of like one of the best jobs you have in the Army is when you're a platoon leader. So you're basically in charge of, like, 30 people. You're young, <laughs> and you can make unlimited mistakes. No one blames you for anything. It's, <laughs> it's great. So that...
1: You're in charge of a bunch of young people, too. Yeah,
2: exactly. So it's like you're kind of like everybody's little brother, but you're in charge of them at the same time. So people <laughs> cut you a lot of slack and they also try to manipulate you a lot, you know, so it's it's a lot of fun. And um, we we set off on a mission with um, four aircraft to go to um, basically kind of like some exchange operations with the Polish unit. So we were, you know, in a place called Tuzla and there was a Polish infantry brigade that was kind of to the west of us and they wanted to like get together to work some like communications in case something ever happened and we had to work with them we wouldn't be starting from scratch right so i remember we we took off um (laughs) flying um and we we were supposedly had a hard deck which means we weren't supposed to fly below a certain level and like mm-hmm. we were taken off and I was in the front seat of Apache and all someone someone said Beetlejuice or something like some code word. And then everybody dove down on the deck and we were just like flying nap of the earth like 120 miles an hour, four air, four Apaches bouncing up and down. And uh it was just awesome. It was like being a roller coaster. And you know, I probably should at the time like killed it because we were like below the hard deck, but you just like you just don't know what you don't know at that point. I'm like, okay, I guess this is the way we're supposed to train. So um
0: like so it was own. just like a,
2: it's your own version flight. of Top Gun. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And then we get there, right? And we meet these Polish these Polish infantry guys. Um, and they were really, really, really friendly. And there was one American that was there and that was like the liaison and he had like rolled out the red carpet. So they had like all this amazing food for us. Like we got to eat the Polish army, army rations and cheese and coffee. And then we did a little bit of training and some briefings. And then afterwards, like, hey, do you want to drive our tanks? so we were like they dropped us in these tanks and it's like all soviet era stuff right so they're called BMDS and bmps so like we'd been trained as apache people to like shoot those things so like we knew what they looked like but never got close to one right and here i am driving one right like and i've got like the little russian helmet on and and it was like all the warrant officers who are warrant officers are awesome people they're just like it's a kind of officer in the military and they were, they were having the time of their lives and they were so mm-hmm. happy. It was just all, it was all in all, just, just happiness all around. It was my birthday too, which was kind of cool. So. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, that so that's made a great it, birthday.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 25th birthday. Good. That was a good day. Yeah, so. Good.
0: Good number too. That This will be one you remember for a long time. Yep. Do you remember any instructor, any instructors that gave you advice that you still utilize or you remember today?
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I had an English instructor, right. And I hated him at the time and he probably hated me, but it's sometimes it's the people that give you the harshest criticism that you learn the most from. Right. So Mm
1: -hmm.
2: in my writing style, I had this like annoying habit of like adding too much hyperbole as I like close my argument. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's something I must've learned, you know, so I would always, have too much hyperbole in my, in my argument. I remember this guy would beat me up on it all the time. And I still, I still remember that today. It's like improve my writing. So that's like one thing I think (laughs) about is this guy, I wish I could thank him. He's Mm -hmm. like, you don't have to sign every, everything you write, you're writing like West Point's going to fall into the Hudson river and life's going to be sucked into a black hole. He's just like (laughs) making fun of me in front of all my classmates and I hated him for it, but he's like, he was right. You know, and now I just, now when I write, I write so much better because of that. Right. So. Mm That's one one example there's there's a lot of other people too you know i had great mentors um at every stage you know i can name somebody at every stage of my my career is there influential
1: is there any specific doesn't even have to be a mentor but like was there anyone in the military that you met that like was the most influential to you
2: yeah there's a guy his name was jeff buchanan he at the time he was our TAC officer at west point uh he retired i think as a four-star general he was superstar he got it you know he was in charge of the retrograde out of iraq and like he invested a lot of time in me when i was a cadet especially at a very crucial time in my life and uh yeah he he was uh he was great and he 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 knew how to lead people and how to like analyze people and he was just great he was like having a psychologist a doctor friend mentor teacher all mm-hmm. in one all in one person you know and um yeah he was great so
1: um are you um are you glad like looking back on um your life and where you've ended up are you glad that you joined the military
2: yeah oh yeah absolutely i meant it's it's hard to put in a word how how important it was to me it's like i wish i could have stayed forever you know i couldn't and that's kind of the only thing i regret is that you you know you're part of something that's so great that doesn't last forever I think a lot of veterans, they get a little disappointed later, you know, so it's almost like Mm -hmm. maybe it's better if I had never done it because it was like, I was part of greatness. And now I'm not that I'm not part of greatness, but it's just like, it's hard to, to match. Right. So you spend the rest of your life kind of reminiscing about it and it's hard to reconcile. I've gotten a little bit better about dealing with it lately, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard, it's hard to let go. So yeah, I would do it all again and try to, and just try to squeeze one more second. That'd be my only. Mm-hmm. My only thing would be like, okay, I just want to get one more second out of this. You know, I'd Ooh, yeah. some way to get one more, one more minute. You know,
1: mm-hmm. like chasing that adrenaline and that meaning, like feeling of belonging and,
2: and yeah. yeah, yeah. And I get to kind of dabble in a little bit. I mean, I still work as a defense contractor, so I feel like I do mm-hmm. sort of get to tangentially kind of touch space with the military. It's like that's kind mm-hmm. of, cool but it's nothing like being in uniform. You know, yeah. and just doing the mission every day—it's—it's it's amazing.
0: Do you still keep in touch with anyone that you originally went to boot camp with or went on missions with?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, as part of the 957 project, a um, couple of those uh, of people you've interviewed are my friends, and uh, really, so really good. Yeah, it's a Mr. Hamilton, John Hamilton, Jason Smith, a couple other people. Um, you know, those served with those guys. So yeah, we touch base once in a while my original boot camp class you know i haven't tracked any of those guys down i should <laughs> try to at some point you know it's pretty easy to do nowadays with facebook and stuff i could probably track them down i have their names I, you know i remember their names i have a little yearbook with their pictures so oh <laughs> um, i did cross paths with one of those guys like i don't know at my 12-year marks so this has been 11 years after boot camp um his name's austin and i mean i recognized him instantly i was in Fort Polk, Louisiana doing some training and he was there and, and it was just like we saw each other instantly and we knew who each other were because I think that Crucible experience like just imprints those people's personas into your mind, right? So as soon as we were in the same room, there's a like hundred people in the room, we found each other, right? Like instantly it's like, hey, I know you, you know, <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Um,
1: And so during your service, you know, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of periods where you're not doing your job at that point so what did you typically do while you're on base but uh, at downtime
2: yeah so i was always into technology you know because Mm -hmm. of my my major my computer science thing so i always found computers laying around in the army or at home like when i was not deployed i was you know my wife would tell you (laughs) to her chagrin (laughs) that you know i have computers stacked up everywhere and just (laughs) Do that kind of stuff. Sometimes it was work related. A lot of times work related. Sometimes not. But I just mm-hmm. tried to stay really plugged into my, to my uh, discipline. You know, which paid huge dividends later when I got kind of into, into teaching. And then when I got out of the army, I had some mm-hmm. good skills that I kind of kept up with. And obviously, I mean, I wasn't going to fly for a living. A lot of people do that. A lot of people turn the aviation thing into a lucrative mm-hmm. career. But uh, I didn't go that route. So I kind of went the computer route. So.
1: Do you like teaching? Fun. Do you enjoy uh, teaching?
2: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, I would, I would say not I, personally seven seven out of ten. I mean, it was it was interesting because when I was in uniform, I I liked it a lot more, and I went back and tried it as a as a civilian professor and didn't like it quite as much. So, uh,
1: yeah, if I I would not love to be a teacher. I don't. I don't. That is definitely yeah. not my dream career
2: for sure it's tough yeah it's god's work for sure it's really really <laughs> important work especially yeah k through seven i think
1: yeah but you did mostly you were mostly in college right it was
2: yeah i was teaching um mostly juniors and seniors so pretty pretty easy and west point cadets are are pretty good students so they don't mess around too much so it was pretty mm-hmm. easy at west point so
0: nice that's such an impressive resume <laughs> like, that's Thank so you. awesome yeah. Um. So I think
1: we're going to, we're heading on to our last question. So this is a podcast that seeks stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Do you have any stories that relate to those themes that you would like to share?
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's um one story. I think it was kind of, I think my scariest day, you know, so maybe it's kind of a combination of courage, resilience, and then teamwork kind of how we dealt with it. But so we were in Bosnia, and um one of our missions that my unit had was to be an escort for generals that were flying around in Black Hawks. So like there would be a Blackhawk and then we'd launch an Apache and we'd like fly around with them. So if something happened, we would could help protect them. It was kind of a show of force. So that was like a standard mission. It was always very, very difficult because a lot of times with generals, they're very last minute, they're on the go, they don't have the most detailed planning sometimes because they're they're very important people so they kind of go to where they're needed um so usually with those kinds of missions we had no idea what was where we were going to go so we would take off and like we would fly over to where the Blackhawks were they were on another base and we would like just hover or shut down and just wait for them and then the general come out and be like all right let's go and they would just take Mm -hmm. off and the Blackhawk could fly at the time like 170 and we were fully loaded with like 30 millimeter and rockets and hellfire so we can only go like maybe i don't know much much lower, <laughs> so it was always like a lot of stress because we're trying to keep up with this general who's in a big hurry. And we're like sucking the guts out of the Apache. So, anyways, we take off and we're like kind of doing the briefing over the radio. We're like, okay, where are we going? They're like, and they were like, we're going to Pale. So, we were in Tuzla, which was at the end of the conflict with, you know, the Bosnian civil war. There were three kind of sides: there were the Croats, the Bosnian Muslims, and the Bosnian Serbs. So. The United States, our task force was in sort of the Muslim area, a little bit of Croatia. And then the Serbs were kind of seeing they didn't like us very much because we bombed (laughs) them actually a lot to get them to come to the bargaining, you know, to the peace table. So there was a lot of sort of fear around the Serbs, I think, and um, just uncertainty, like how they were going to accept us. So they kind of kept us out of their sector and they put like the Russians and the Brits and some other people got their sector. So here we were going to fly into a sector that we never been to before. And we were kind of geared to thinking would be hostile towards us, right? So mm-hmm. um, so we've, and we actually dropped a lot of bombs in the city where we were going. Like it's, <laughs> oh, there's this whole story with Scott this is Scott O'Grady, he was an Air Force guy that got shot down. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that went down in Palais. It was kind of the headquarters of the Bosnian Serbs. So we're gonna go there. So we take off and we're like, okay, where are we going? Like, is there a base? And they're like, no, our instructions were to fly into the city and land at the first field on the left. Just like driving instructions, right? For a car, we we're in helicopters, so like there's no grid coordinate, no satellite photo. So we take off, and it didn't take us very long to get there 25 minutes. We're there, and the Blackhawk pulls into a playground, you know. So they land at this playground in front of the school soccer field, and the general jumps out, black Mercedes comes, fixes this guy up, disappears, right? And we're like, What are we gonna do? I guess we're just gonna shut down right here, right? So we all, the black Hawk and the Apache. We shut down, and then as soon as we shut down, it was like schools out, right? And there were like 300 kids just mauling us like dogs, right? And they were like Mm -hmm. trying to grab our weapons and they were like climbing on the Apache, trying to get into like the places on the Apache. And there's like we have rockets and hellfire, and like it's dangerous, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. and then people are like, I was a senior ranking person as a second term, like, sir, what should we do? Should we shoot them, or should you know, like, I'm like, should we shoot them? But they didn't say that, but they are like, should we shoot some warning shots? Like, set up a perimeter? And I'm like, all these things are going through your mind. And I'm like, we can't contain this, right? We're like, there was four Blackhawk pilot, you know, four in the Blackhawk and two. it's had six Americans, two aircraft. Can't set up a perimeter, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, it's back to problem solving, right? I'm like, okay, we're going to go to air show mode. So, like, we've done a lot of air shows, and mm-hmm. we actually had billboards in the aircraft to, like, you know, you pull this billboard out, it says, What is the Apache? So, we actually had some of those with us, I think. And so, we just like opened up everything and went to air show mode. We started like getting the kids in lines and like letting them come in kind of one by one <laughs> and, and sit down, right? Maybe like something you did with your uncle, right? Where you just like so you try funny. to make them like the center of attention and make it a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that instantly diffused things and it worked for a while. But then the kids started getting bored, right? And then a lot of the townspeople started coming out so there were like some older men who were like in their 20s they had like one leg and they started coming up and like picking fight with us like coming up and just pushing us and like grabbing my pistol and like saying all kinds of terrible things about america and calling Mm -hmm. us all kinds of nasty names and it just got like and it started getting like darker and it just felt like there was a moment and and the crowd started to like pile up and kind of like a circle around us like oh my gosh and it just got like there was this i don't know it was just like the the hair on the back of my neck stood up and i was like this is not going to be good if they like decide mm-hmm. to like escalate this right and we were trying to contain it but we don't speak any serbo creation or anything right some of them spoke some english but it was just like a lot of people trying to fight us and pick arguments with us about our foreign policy and it was just brutal so i'm like we had no comms with this general i'm like what are we going to do you know and Mr. Paul, my backseater, he was like, What are we going to do, sir? I'm like, Well, we got a little bit of gas we can play with. So we decided to get in the aircraft and just like take off and like orbit and hopefully the general would come back. Right. Mm-hmm. So we did that. We got like one, you know, we got kind of made a distraction. We jumped on our aircraft. We got our rotors going. So we were able to use the rotor wash to kind of push the crowd back. And then the Black Hawk launched. And then we just both entered like this. It's called a Max Endurance Airspeed. It's like 60 knots. You just fly around. And then pretty soon the general came back, landed to pick him up. And then on our way out of town, we see, like, the LZ that we were supposed to be. And there's, like, a little British uh, tank platoon there with tanks. and But it was kind of oh. in this wood line. We couldn't see it. So they were there the whole time, but they didn't ever come. And it was, like, maybe eight miles from where we were. They probably didn't even know what we were doing. But, like, oh. it was just mm-hmm. weird to be kind of, like, out there in the open.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, like, I People didn't want to be Trying to grab like, your
1: weapons. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so it was, like, a combination of, like, a little bit of courage. But I think it was just... Being resilient, kind of trying to think through mm-hmm. the situation. What can I do? What do I have access to? And do mm-hmm. we have cell phone, nothing. I was like, just radio. So it was, uh, that was kind of my most adventurous day. I know it's not crazy, but. Especially when you're dealing yeah.
1: really with kids, too. You don't know what
2: to do. Yeah. And then we got back, actually, one of the weapons was missing. So they stole one of the nine millimeters in the Blackhawk. There was a big oh, wow. investigation. So now I have like the, it's called the CID. It's like the undercover MP, undercover MPs, they did a big investigation. I was a senior ranking person, so I was implicated. But in the end we were exonerated because you know, it wasn't our fault. We were basically mm-hmm. put into a situation we shouldn't have been put in. So that was the final mm-hmm. conclusion. Yeah. So well, that was that's a, also a little
1: scary. Yeah. <laughs> exactly,
2: yeah, your whole career's at stake, right? But no, I knew I knew we were in the right. I'm like, look, man, we couldn't, we, what were we supposed to do, start shooting people like, <laughs> Yeah. There's no there was no way for us to contain that crowd with yeah. six people.
0: So. And speaking of kids, what advice would you give any young people listening to this interview?
2: Um Yeah, so I've been lately um kind of lately figured out this whole concept of silence. Um So I would say embrace silence and understand and like learn how to be silent <laughs> so, so much of our life right now in our world we're just like constantly stimulated right every minute of our day we're stimulated by work play um just survival and mm-hmm. i think it's kind of become like a tyranny of just over stimuli and over connectedness and i strongly encourage people to learn how to be silent so it starts with going into a quiet place like a like your room or maybe even a place more quiet than that and just leaving your cell phone aside and closing your eyes and just trying to silence you know physically first and then mentally mm-hmm. you know it's very very difficult to unplug and like be mentally silent but you can you can work on it. one thing that works for me is i just think of life as a parade and as things come into my mind i'm like okay that's a parade and it just goes out of my view and then you can just sort of like not latch on to any thought, just be like, okay, that's a thought, but then it's in a parade by. And then over time, you can kind of empty your mind. You can also hold your breath a little bit. It helps like focus on your breathing, hold your breath, and there's some techniques. And basically you've, you'll end up in this place where um, you can really start to connect with yourself and what you believe in, um, contemplating, you know, if you're a religious person in your relationship with God, if you're not a religious person, you can contemplate. Just your position in the world. Um and you gotta be careful not to think too much of that because you'll you'll ruin the silence. It's just it's hard to explain. But like there's this point at time when you like you really start to it's like uh ecstasy or something where you're just like this is amazing. I can I can be myself I can think I can relax you know and I think those kinds of things are really good. And once you learn how to do it on your own kind of in this setting, you can actually export it to other situations in your life when you're dealing with someone like when a friend comes to you and they're like, I'm really having a problem right now. Like you're like on your phone, like, yeah, okay, whatever. Right. But like, Mm -hmm. if you know how to like turn it all off for yourself, then you can like look at them and like, you can, it's like muscle memory. You can go to silence and just be in silence with that friend. Right. And they'll sense it. And some of that will spill into them. Right. And that'll bring peace. So. I would say, don't laugh, It's it sounds crazy, but it's a, no, it's I, a that's, superpower. Yeah. I can
1: definitely see that, especially with, like you said, how much, um, how much is going on in our world right now, how much information is coming from our phones, from our friends, from TVs and everything. I think that's a very important thing to recognize, is that silence is, and being able to just take it all in, understand what's happening
0: and not, be spread to them thin. I think it's a yeah. very
1: important so You have to
0: it. cultivate our own do not disturb button,
1: basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share before we complete this interview?
2: No, thanks a lot for having me. Um, thanks for doing this mission. It's great what you guys are doing and you guys have a, a great teacher and you're in a great, school, great school. So nice job. Well done.
1: Good. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, we're so happy to have you here it was really, it's really special that we get to um, hear from you and really get to, you know, see different parts and different sides of the military that you can
0: do. Yeah, it was so great talking to you. It's a really special experience for teenagers to be able to talk about our nation's, like, military and the past of it and how it works, because I feel like not a lot of people are really familiar with, like, boot camp and what it's like going into it as an 18-year-old and then graduating mm-hmm. up through the ranks and you're just like in this position for a lot of your life and it's it's just a really big transition and i feel like not a lot of people are really familiar with it so yeah. it was yeah. great talking to you
1: yeah especially because yeah. there's like you know you think of military military you think oh in combat you know you have a gun you're in combat you're on the front line so like i think this definitely helps at least me um realize how many different jobs there are in the military, how many different lives people can lead while being in the
0: military. Yeah. So thank you for sharing this. It helps us kind of visualize, you know, behind the scenes. Like, you don't really realize how many different aspects of the military there are and how many people are all in this, like, under one branch. And yeah. How many people are doing these little things that we either use or have been used in our life to let us live a life we live. And I don't know, it's just really special to be able to talk to you. But yeah. we appreciate yeah. it a lot.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. You guys appreciate it, so thank you.
0: Of course.
1: Wow, that was a really interesting interview. Uh, Lieutenant Henderson was someone I hadn't really, um, in his position, I hadn't really interviewed before,
0: so this was a very different experience for me. It's very interesting. I didn't, Columbia was such a big (laughs) thing that stuck out to me, and the way, I guess, he started off, like, in his journey... Just going to boot camp as soon as he got as soon as he graduated from high school and just making that decision before he even graduated. Mm-hmm. It's such a big step that I don't think a lot of people yeah. our age could make, honestly, in this day and age. I feel like it's just so normalized to go to college. And I think it was a like honestly really brave for him to make that step and mm-hmm. go all the way to Kentucky, I think it was, from Oregon. It was Alabama. Oh Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He said he went to Kentucky later. That's right. Yeah. I well,
1: that was what I was thinking. Is that like he literally made that decision, in what what we are now exactly at this time in our life, and so I just I cannot imagine like signing up and being like, yep, that's what I want. I would be so scared. I know. I think it takes a lot of courage to and for make him that to decision,
0: continue on that path for like decades. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's really crazy.
1: And I think uh, his uh, his story of boot camp. I again from the uh, veterans that I had interviewed before. They hadn't really talked much about their experiences in boot camp. So that was a really fun thing for me, like talking about the songs. That's something I've always seen is that the drill sergeants that looks (laughs) it's silly, but it looks like a lot of fun. And Mm -hmm. I think that's how like, that's a lot of where, like, I guess the brotherhood and the family comes from. Yeah,
0: I feel like it's it's illustrated a lot as like a very like strict regiment and you're doing things and it's all just very strict and there's yelling and mm-hmm. waking up early and it just seems so unpleasant and i think his perspective gave us a side of like camaraderie that we're not used to hearing yeah. mm-hmm. and that was really refreshing hearing that from him
1: yeah that it wasn't all just like oh we were rolling around in the mud no, miserable and it, it sucked and yeah yeah no but he had a
0: he he had a smile
1: the whole time that we were
0: he was talking about it so yeah I that
1: was that's pretty cool. And
0: he said in his interview that he recognized anyone that he went to boot camp with, even if it was like decades later. He mm-hmm. was like, I instantly recognized them and they instantly recognized me. And you can just tell from that that the brotherhood that they formed there is just so prominent. Yeah. And I guess we just don't even realize how connected all these soldiers are to each yeah. other.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I also I thought it was so interesting that like, he, he was able to fly helicopters, and maybe this is something that I don't get to see often, but it actually happens a lot more than I know, but he was able to fly helicopters and like do computer science, like how that related. I thought that was so interesting in that um, he was able to get his PhD through the military mm-hmm. in computer science and, and pursue that career of the tech career in the military, um, but also able to do something pretty pretty can we say can we say badass yeah i <laughs> think <laughs> so pretty badass I flying mean, apache yeah. helicopters in iraq afghanistan it, what did you say in bosnia mm-hmm. yeah i thought that like that's a that's that's exactly like my dream is that like oh you get to do something that's interesting and something technical but you also get to experience the you know the badass exhilarating
0: experiences yeah i guess I never really thought that, it, like, I now that I'm thinking about it, like, computer science and, like, flying those helicopters really do go hand in yeah. hand. Because even if you're just looking at, like, a regular commercial airline and you, like, step in and just, like, take a peek into, like, the captain's pilot, like, it's just so complicated and it's, like, really overwhelming. And it is just kind of, like, it's a methodical. motherboard, Yeah, yeah it's, it's a mo- it is a it motherboard. It is a motherboard, and it's just there's so many different things that correlate with each other, and it's like you flip the wrong switch. some So many things could go wrong, and like he said, it's just a lot of problem-solving and on the spot. So I can see why computer science and why he chose to yeah. dive deeper into that and get a master's in that degree. But that's yeah. not really something I would have expected.
1: Yeah, a PhD.
0: I know. A yeah. oh, PhD, that's
1: mm-hmm. right. Um, that's also something that I was – impressed with is that how much education he got through the military
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: the ability to go to all those schools and get those degrees while also being
0: um active duty yeah is i, I think that's pretty incredible and he said he had a family at that point too so he was like yeah. multitasking he was, a lot he, he was, was multi he, multitasking yeah <laughs> i say i'm good at multitasking yeah. but that's a whole nother level it's like in a whole nother universe flying planes you know Getting a PhD, yeah.
1: <laughs> also just serving in the military yeah. and doing that, having a family. Mm-hmm. And you had kids. And- I can uh, pat my head and rub my tummy at the
0: same time. So <laughs> we're pretty much the same. We're pretty much the same. We're all. on the same level. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting too, because I feel like we don't hear a lot about the in between. Like we'll hear about stories from boot camp and we'll hear about stories in active duty and active combat but you really don't hear about the in-between and i feel like he talked he talked about that a lot and he would talk about even like the food that he had yeah and that was that that stuck out to me because i'm you know food oriented (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was interesting to hear a perspective of stateside military rather than just a broad military because Mm -hmm. i feel like those are the stories that are super prominent and the common knowledge of military. is just Mm -hmm. like, that's all you hear about is combat and those stories. And not to say that those aren't important, but again, it was refreshing to hear that perspective of states, of what stateside um, military does. Yeah,
1: and I think that um, his story, like he said, his scariest time, or the crest um, story for him was um, when he was in, what was it? Uh, It was Iraq, I think. No, 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 it was in Croatia. Uh when having to deal with those types of situations where it's not direct, like there's no one firing at you, but it's still a hostile situation where he's able to, like, he kept his cool. You know, he used, he t- talked about that his um biggest strength was what problem solving and determination, like just, mm-hmm. just getting it done. And I mean, that was a good situation. Like that wasn't a good situation, but it was a good solution for what he had to it. I thought that was interesting that they, Made, they went into show mode. Yeah, that was funny. The, yeah,
0: that wasn't expecting him to say it. Yeah. That. When he thought he went into show mode, like I was, I was literally picturing him like showing them how to shoot like the machine guns, you know, like <laughs> just like that. I know. and then I was like, okay, well, he probably actually can't do that. He'd probably get in a lot of trouble. But
1: yeah, <laughs> I think so. If they lost one handgun, I think they might get into trouble. Yeah. For so yeah, I just, I just really loved to, talking to Lieutenant Colonel Henderson. And I think that um, his experiences and what he shared really um, was different from what I had heard before. And I really value his perspective on the military, his perspective on the food in the military, a uh, boot camp. And I, I think it was really special to get to talk to him. Yeah.
0: And I appreciate how like relatable, in a sense, some of his mm-hmm. story of resiliency was because it's just like there's a lot of situations where you just kind of have to be on your feet. and children are not going away like they're gonna be around us for a long time and it's just being able to come up with something on the spot that's very peaceful and not yeah high anxiety in an mm-hmm. environment like that I think is really important and a message that a lot of readers not readers listeners <laughs> listeners can take into account and learn from yeah yeah I agree Well, thanks for listening to Operation Crest Podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Today's hosts were me, Liz, and Julia. And our guest was Lieutenant Steve Henderson. The questions were written by us and the editing was done by our teachers. Until next time, see ya.